us, is this the lunch loop? If so, um, we wish to cancel. Um, we do not wish to belong to that or to pay this anymore. Thank you. Hey everybody, welcome to the Lunloop Podcast, the podcast where we talk about the intersection of three things that I can never remember the order. I don't know why, it's my podcast, I came up with that tag and I can't remember the order. So it's markets, money, and life. I think the thing is it used to be trading. We talk about the trading part in the Lunloop newsletter, which if you're not a Lunloop newsletter subscriber, I highly suggest it because it's my newsletter. <laughs> uh, just go to lunloop.com brianlund.com, you'll find it. Anyway, here we talk about the intersection of markets, money, and life. And I have to tell you, side note, it is a goddamn beautiful day out here in Southern California. We finally have a break between atmospheric rivers. We've been inundated this season with what are called atmospheric rivers. They are these big rivers of moisture that come, basically they start in Hawaii, they come across the Pacific, and when they hit land, they just dump ridiculous amounts of rain on us. How much rain? Well, let me tell you. One atmospheric river, just one, can dump 10.5 trillion, that's with a T, trillion gallons on the state. That's about three quarters of all the water that's used by the whole state for a whole year. And we've had 12 of those. So we are looking at about 130 to 150 trillion gallons of water that have been dumped on us since December. And they're not done. We still, it looks like we have another one coming next week. So suffice to say, it has been a very wet winter out here in Southern California. Last week on the podcast, I played the audio from an interview I did with my friend Patrick Dunawilla of The Chart Report. Normally when I do those interviews, I don't watch them or listen back to them because I was there, I did them. I don't need to listen to them again. But I was around the house doing some stuff last weekend and because I had put it on the podcast, I listened back to it. And one of the things that got referenced a number of times in that interview was Stocktoberfest 2018. Stocktoberfest 2018 is a very interesting point in time and whenever I think back to it, it reminds me of how we frame the concept of right or wrong when it comes to investing and in trading. Let me give you a little bit of context. Stocktoberfest was an annual event put on by StockTwits beginning, I think, in 2007, 2008, down in Coronado. And it would bring together traders, investors, people in financial services, VCs, all for one weekend. There would be various presentations. There would be lots of networking and lots of drinking. And it was a really awesome event. It doesn't happen anymore. They, they stopped doing them. I think, in, I think 2018 was the last one. In 2018, it was a scaled down version of that. There were maybe 100 people. It was invite only. It, was, it took place at a a restaurant bar called the Brigantine, which is on Coronado Island. So for two and a half days, we all met inside this restaurant and various people went up and did presentations, all financial related. The thing about 
it's Oktoberfest 2018 that stands out for me, or, or let me back up. There's two presentations that really stood out at that event. I remember at the time going, hmm. The first one was a presentation by Meltem Demores. Meltem is chief strategist with coin, not Coinbase, coin something, something with crypto. She did a presentation about Bitcoin and about crypto and how she was super bullish on that space. The other presentation that I remember was one by Todd Harrison. Todd Harrison is a, um, is a, I guess it's fair to say he's a, a, a cannabis bull. And he had a presentation that talked about the potential for cannabis, not just financially, but what it could do for people from a health standpoint. And he also talked about individual cannabis pot names. Now, both Melton and Todd are serious people. Todd created Minionville, which was a massive financial media company, ran it for 17 years, I think sold it to some someone. Melton has a master's from MIT. She's got a background in mathematics. So these are two very serious people, two people that had very strong opinions about two different sectors. One, pot, cannabis, the other, crypto. So here's what I remember about those two presentations. I remember being very excited about Todd's and thinking, wow, this pot thing is going to blow up. I remember being concerned on Melton's, not about crypto, but about her, because she was all in on crypto. And after she was done with her presentation, I just happened to be sitting at the, the bar watching it. She actually came over, ordered a drink right next to me, and I introduced myself. I'd never met her before. And I said, I really enjoyed your presentation, blah, 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 small talk. And then I went into trader mode and I went, you know, you might not want to go all in on this because what if it doesn't, you know, I talked from that risk management standpoint. Now in the interview that I played last week, Patrick said, you mansplained to her. And that was funny. I laughed. It was, it was a very funny point. But I wasn't really mansplaining to her. I wasn't looking at Meltem as a man or a woman. I was looking at her as a fellow investor. And, and as a fellow investor, I was concerned. I was worried that she was going to put all her eggs in one basket and, you know, could cause some real financial uh, grief. The reason I didn't have that same conversation with Todd is because Melton explicitly said, these are the words she said, she said, 100% of my net worth is in Bitcoin and crypto. So I thought, well, that's kind of dangerous. <laughs> and so again, I went into my, my risk management mode. Todd didn't say that. He said he was bullish on cannabis, a pot. And I figured he was uh, a little bit more even-handed in his investing style. All right, so let's, oh, by the way, after I, you know, after I said this to Melton, uh, unasked, she was very polite. And then she said, okay, well, that's good to know. I've got to go over here. <laughs> and she just kind of moved away from me. So whatever. Looking back on that, five years ago. I'm sure you're thinking to yourself, well, Todd was wrong. Meltem was right. And you're probably thinking that based upon the price action we've seen over the last five years in both pot and crypto. That makes sense. But let's 
unpack this a little bit more. First, let's take a look at pot. And I'm going to use MJ, which is the Canadian pot ETF as a proxy. There's YOLO, which is another pot ETF, and there's MSOS, which is the American pot ETF, but neither one of those existed in October of 2018. So if we look at MJ and where it was trading during Stocktoberfest, it was about 35 bucks a share. Today it trades for $3.50 a share. So it's lost 90% of its value over the last five years. In addition, a lot of the pot stocks that were hot in 2018 don't even exist anymore. They went out of business. Some of the ones that do exist are in this circular hellscape of shelf offerings, dilution, reverse splits. So it seems like the bullish pot case clearly failed. Todd was wrong. If we look at Bitcoin and crypto, Bitcoin was trading around $6,000 at Stocktoberfest 2018. Obviously, we know it went as high as $70,000. So it would seem like Meltem was right. Todd was wrong. Meltem was right. I was wrong in the advice that I gave Meltem. But is that really the case? To dig a little deeper on this concept, let's take two trips on the Wayback Machine. Our first destination is going to be early 2008. Now, for context, the iPhone had just come out. And Netflix was a service that let you borrow movies on a plastic disc. And I know this sounds crazy and barbaric, but you actually had to return them. All right, so I was in a chat room at that time, and there was a really interesting character that went by the name of Trader One. It's T-R-A-D-E-R and the numeral one. Despite having probably the most unoriginal screen name in history, he seemed like a nice guy. I assume he was a guy. He was always talking about the markets and he was always talking about the trades he was making. And he had a very simple methodology. He bought on every dip. And he would announce these buys with great gusto and great bravado. And he would call out in the chat room, I'm buying more XYZ on this dip. Or this dip is a great place to buy more ABC. He bought lots of stocks on the dip. He bought stocks like BSC, or CFC, or LEH. Those symbols don't sound familiar to you. It's because those companies don't exist anymore. <laughs> uh, not surprisingly, Trader One eventually disappeared from the chat room. And I suspect that the callouts he makes these days are, would you like fries with that? Look, the reason Trader One didn't succeed was, first of all, he thought he was good instead of lucky. He thought that buying every dip was a sound method based upon his previous success. But he made a very crucial mistake. He used outcome bias to validate his method. Now, I'm sure some of your eyes are rolling back in your head, but let me just break that down a little bit. Let's say that you go to Vegas and you and your buddies go out and you just get shitty drunk. Maybe you drink one of those margaritas in a giant plastic Eiffel Tower, or maybe you guys split a brazooka. It doesn't matter what the delivery system is. You're just fully lit and you go over to the roulette table and you take everything you own, your car, your house, your life savings, your autographed picture of Patrick Swayze from Roadhouse, everything, and you put it on red. Even if red hits, it was a terrible bet because although you won, the method you used, everything on red, was highly flawed. Eventually, this method is going to fail 
In fact, it's going to fail a little bit more than 50% of the time because there is a green O on the roulette wheel. And the problem is that your downside is so big if you fail that you'll be wiped out and no longer able to play the game. That's why Russian roulette is such a dangerous game because it looks like, oh, there's only a 16% chance that the bullet will be in the chamber. But if that actually happens, the damage is so final that it's not worth the risk. Trader one fooled himself into thinking that his method worked because in the two years that he'd been trading, the market rebounded after every dip. But Trader One really didn't have a methodology. He had no contingency if the market didn't rebound. Everything he did was based on a consistent one-sided outcome, something that almost never happens in the real world and certainly not in the stock market, or at least not forever. So if we take the example of Trader One and his one-sided outcome approach, using that standard, both Todd and Melton were wrong. It doesn't matter that Bitcoin went to the sky afterwards. It doesn't matter that pot imploded because it's not the outcome that determines whether their approach was right or wrong. It's the strategy, the methodology, or lack thereof. Okay, so let's put one more spin on this by going to our final destination on the Wayback Machine. We're going to go way back now. We're going to go back to... 1983. I was a sophomore in high school at that time. And my social studies teacher decided that he wanted to add a new class to the schedule. This class was called Model United Nations. And just like the name implies, it was a mock United Nations class. And the idea was you debated issues from a country standpoint, and then your school would go meet with 20 or 30 other schools and have a big model United Nations conference. This was new to our school. And the principal said, yeah, you can do this class, but there's no place in the schedule for it. Unless, of course, you want to do a zero period. These days, zero period seemed to be a normal part of schedules. But back then, zero period was unheard of. My regular class schedule started at 7.30, which meant that zero period had to start at 6.30, which meant I had to get up at 5.30 in the morning. This is back in a time when your parents, if they had a job, they worked nine to five. So I was up before either of my parents, Monday through Friday. The first two days, my mom said, I'll I'll get up with you and I'll make you breakfast. She did that two days and then the third day she was asleep. (laughs) It's like, well, I guess I'm on my own. So I would get up at 5.30, I would take a shower, I'd make myself breakfast, And then I would ride my bike to school. And during the fall and winter season, it was cold and it was dark in the morning. And I was so bitter and I was so angry because back then I was not a morning person and I didn't like being cold. And that's everything that going to zero period entailed. I would be on my bike in the cold morning, whizzing through the track. And every now and then I would see a house that had a light on. Most of the houses were dark. And the houses that were dark, I used to think to myself, those people have it made. I envied those people so much because all I could picture was that they were in a nice, warm, toasty bed and they didn't have to get up for hours. But every now and then I would see a house that had the light on. 
And when I saw a house with a light on, I'd be like, what is going on there with that insane person up at this time? Of course, what was really happening was I was just projecting on those houses based upon my viewpoint of getting up this early. Those houses that were dark, maybe those people were sitting there staring at the ceiling. Maybe they were tossing and turning. Maybe they hadn't slept all night because they're worried about their family, about their job, about who knows what. Maybe that house that had the light on was someone that was so excited about the day or their job or life in general that they just wanted to get up as early as possible. The bottom line is, I didn't really know what was going on in those houses. And we don't really know what happened in the last five years with Todd and Meltem. One month after Stocktoberfest 2018, Bitcoin lost 50% of its value. Did Meltem sell there? After that, Bitcoin went all the way to 70,000. Did she buy more at the top? Because it dropped down to 16 after that. Did Todd hedge himself all of the last five years? Did he buy at very low levels so that his cost basis is almost insignificant? And that leaves us with one big question. Who gives a fuck, Brian? Who gives a fuck? When Patrick brought up Stocktoberfest 2018, that was the first thing I started thinking about. Oh, I remember that presentation Todd did. He was really bullish on, on pot stocks. I wonder how he's done over the last five years. Oh, Meltem, she was really bullish on crypto. I wonder, did she sell when crypto tanked? Did she buy at the top? I wonder if she's like, who cares, Brian? Who cares? These are all examples of what is known as automatic thinking or more specifically, automatic thoughts. Automatic thoughts are a kind of negative self-talk. They appear almost instantaneously and without us even knowing that they're forming in response to certain patterns or certain stimulus that come from our family of origin. Automatic thoughts are usually irrational, they're usually negative, and they're not good for our mental health because what happens is they stir emotions that we're not even cognizant of. And then we're at risk of acting based upon those emotions. I see this all the time with myself. I'll be on FinTwit. Someone is representing that they're killing it on a trade. And I'll immediately go into that projection mode, that Brian driving his bike through the track at 6.30 in the morning. And I'll project, oh, they're killing it, right? Or maybe I'll do the opposite with someone. Oh, they're not doing very good. And then I start thinking to myself, well, well, maybe I should be trading bigger or maybe I should be trading a different instrument or maybe I should be trading a different style or method. And if I'm not careful, I can drift from what works for me. So I'm constantly in this mode of bringing myself back to center. And one of the things that I am so grateful for is that I get to talk with investors and traders. I get to put this daily update out every day. I get to do the weekend update. I get to do the podcast. I get to be on other people's podcasts because when I'm on those podcasts or when I'm talking on these various outlets and it seems like I'm talking to people, like I'm giving people advice, but what I'm really doing always is I'm talking to myself. 
when I gave Milton that unasked for advice about risk management, I wasn't really talking to Melton. I was talking to me. I mean, I hope that it would help her, but at the end of the day, I'm self-reinforcing. I'm trying to be on guard against those automatic thoughts, those things that are going to make me do things or make me engage in activities that are not going to be good for me, that are not going to help me make money, that are not going to help me reach the goals that I want to reach. Um, I would like to repeat that want to be canceled from the Lund loop, whatever you've got me on. Um, if you wish to call and explain what it is, uh, actually, uh, forget that. Well, that's it for this episode. If you got any questions, hit me up at Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at thelungloop.com. I'll see you next time. Bye.